Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. This episode is called Never Mind the Bollards. That's suggested by Eric Firm on Twitter. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by just Matt Two Rumpets. Just you and me, Matt. Yeah, it's kind of like a throwback Sunday to the good old days when it was just you and me and 10 people, and we were still chasing glory. Now, when you say 10 people, that was our total downloads. Yeah, I think that was probably about where we started. Now, on the last race that we did here, uh, we had the Canadian Grand Prix with the controversial Vettel penalty, and we decided to just go to the big topic straight away, didn't we? Yeah, we did. And uh, it worked out like a charm because that alone was like three hours of content, I think. It was. And we're going to do the same here. We're going to go to immediately address the elephant in the room, which was the excitement level of the race that everyone's getting excited about online. But first, we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. Okay, so the first charge from social media was that this race was a boring race. Now, Matt, I think it's completely fine to say that this race as a spectacle was boring. The thing that's kind of set me off today was that there's so many outlets and people just generally just dumping on the whole sport, saying everything's terrible, it's all broken because this race didn't land and didn't give us any major, major talking points. Yeah, you know, I have to say to an extent, I get it. I mean, it's funny because people say, oh, the race was so boring. But, you know, I'm sat here with my data channel on and the race on. And then I'm looking at the timing sectors and you start thinking about who's got a pit window to whom. You start looking at who's catching up and then you're constantly scanning up and down to see where the gaps are. And then before you know it, the race is just over. So it's 
boring. If you were looking at TV only at the front of the race, I would completely get that. But I would put it to you that a lot of the reason we're seeing so much complaints is because really what's happening is no one showed up who could even come close to beating Mercedes today. And I think that's worrying fans in the larger sense, if you know what I mean. So if that race was exactly the same as it was, except that on this weekend, it happened to be Vettel, who was out 15 seconds ahead of Leclerc, and then a Mercedes, then a Red Bull, then a Mercedes, but exactly the same things happened, would there have been the same level of complaints? So basically, is this in some way an outlet of the frustration of the Mercedes and Hamilton dominance this season? Yeah, I I would agree with that statement. You can live with boring races if there's a championship, if if there's a fight at the front, even if it's not every race, you're going to want to turn up to see what happens. But the problem with the predictability of Formula One, and I'd say predictability is a bigger problem, and so they tune out, and then they just blame the sport when it's almost always a more complicated problem that they're trying to solve. The thing is, though, if you look at the way the race unfolded today, it's not dissimilar to a lot of other races. So the the action that we were looking for started unfolding towards the very end of the race, where you saw Leclerc catching up to Bottas, and you saw that battle for seventh place behind Lando Norris. A lot of our F1 races that we're watching, they are like this, because what happens is if you line up a race with the fastest person on a Saturday at the front and the slowest person at the back, generally you get the fast cars disappearing. And as you go down the field, they they disappear from the car behind, you know, um, decreasingly so as you go back through the grid. It takes something to go wrong in a race for it to kick off. So a safety car in Baku that bunches everyone back up and gets them all racing again or bunches people back up who are on different strategies. So you suddenly get a guy with fresher tyres but had a 40 second gap, suddenly he's right on top of the car in front. So we're sat there today waiting for that thing to happen. And a lot of time, at times in F1, in fact, more times than it does happen, that thing doesn't kick off. And there is no chain of events that leads to the spectacular thing that we're all talking about. Right. Well, I mean, if we're talking games, we're talking chess instead of checkers, we're talking opera instead of rock and roll. It's all the same thing. In the sense that the strategies are put together, you're talking about nibbling tents a lap here and there. And realistically, in most races, outside of the start, you've got a couple of laps around the pit stops. And then if everything goes right, you're going to have an interval right at the end where you might get some serious position changes. And as you said, that accepts accidents and safety cars and so forth. But I'm definitely not going to say that this race was thrilling. I know we're going to talk about like the things you can do whilst watching sports that don't kick off in a little while. But it it, it is fair to say that this race didn't ignite to the point where a bollard rolling across the track got me genuinely excited. So I'd kind of gone into my funk and I, I was having a good afternoon. I was watching the race with my lad. We were doing all sorts of side things all to do with F1. Um, but when the bollard started rolling across the track, I was like sat on the edge of my seat going, something's going to happen. Is it going to be a safety car? Is someone going to hit that? What is going to, you know, occur here? And then virtual safety car, they sorted it all out. And it's like, oh, okay, back to where we were. So I'm not refuting the charge that the race didn't land at all. It definitely didn't land. Yeah, uh, it's hard to disagree with that because, and and I think the nature, I know we're going to talk about it later, the nature of the track itself also played into it visually. Although the, all the stripey bits look very nice 
from long shots, when you're looking at the close-up shots on the telly, it's very hard to tell where the cars are on the track. I know a lot of people complain just about the visual aesthetic of the whole thing. And this would only have been making things worse uh, for the lack of action at the front. Although there was more action than you think. I mean, for example, Verstappen's pit stop was was noodled along by Vettel having caught up to him enough that they were worried he would lose that place if they didn't uh, if they didn't shut Vettel down. Yes, and there was things to watch and there was things to be engaged with in this race. I think there is a narrative though on social media and from certain outlets that is very very negative this season. So, and I think it did start by when the Vettel challenge started to disappear and when it became clear as we'll talk about later that there really was never a Bottas 2.0 the more it looked like a Hamilton championship and the more it looked like we weren't going to get any unpredictability we weren't going to get a great title fight going through the season certain outlets have become very very negative and if I had not seen the social media reaction if I had not been chatting along with people if I'd not been on Twitter today I would have treated that like a very normal F1 race. I would have had quite a chilled Sunday afternoon watching it. But instead, I kind of felt a bit beaten down. And to be honest, I'm actually, I'm a little bit sick of people kicking off every time there's a boring F1 race, as if that's rare. I've been watching Grand Prix since I was six, since 1986. And there's more boring ones than exciting ones. So the the expectation that it's suddenly got to be spectacular seems to have only arisen very recently. And I think that there is a toxic element in our F1 social media, in our communities, in the outlets that feeds on clicks. And if you feed on clicks and you feed on attentions, then you've got to say the most provocative things. And that's created this real, real bubble of negativity around the stewarding, around the excitement level, around certain drivers. And I and I don't think it's a reflection of what the sport is as a core and and, and what it's like to be an F1 fan. Well, I would say, with regards to complaining about the racing and the expectations we have for it, I think that's maybe part of a larger cultural thing that we're seeing as the internet has progressed and as things have become more instantaneous and communication and group bubbles can happen on a bigger level. I think we very much tend to see people just reinforcing each other's opinions, but also, in a nutshell... Formula One's efforts to sell itself to new fans also lead to higher expectations for what we're going to see. In other words, they find themselves in a position of having to deliver bigger and bigger, bigger spectacles to capture the same number of eyeballs. But that's not realistic. It's never been realistic for anything ever. There's been a big change this season, and Muna has pointed out, Muna119. Hello, chat room. You can join in the live chat by going to YouTube and searching for Missed Apex Podcast. We really do love you keeping us company. Uh, Muna says there, the, the Channel 14 were less negative compared to the Sky Team. Now, Crofty and Brundle are amazing broadcasters. No one knows more about F1 than Martin Brundle, and Crofty is an excellent color commentator. But they are definitely more, you could say more honest, but they're definitely more brutal on the sport itself. Channel 4 and their commentary team, I think most people would agree, were much more cheerleading of the sport. So they would call the race, they would call what they see, and they would take anything in front of them, they would take the spectacle in front of them gratefully and and commentate and call on that and, and talk about the decisions. Whereas if Sky aren't happy, Crofty and Brundle and 
Ted as well and Karoon on his thing. They're they're happy to say, oh, F1's rubbish about this. This makes F1 terrible. This is ruining everything so that there's more of a negative vibe. Yeah, you know, um, in the chat room, Low Stealth just had a very interesting comment, which reflected something I heard on Sky, which is, I'm just going to say this comment for every race, unless there are penalties, Haas tires, or brilliant Ferrari strategy, the field you line up from fastest to slowest is going to finish that way. Yes. So one of the issues is, as good as Quali is to watch, it's gotten too predictable. I mean, imagine, say, Vettel was seven points ahead of Hamilton, and he started in seventh position, and by the seventh lap, he still was just past the two McLaren drivers. And now he was trying to chase and not lose the championship lead to Hamilton. That would have been incredibly exciting, right? Yeah, and we could okay. do all sorts of things, but you're you're essentially saying sprinklers. That's yeah, that it's not no different. Well, I think I think what I'm saying is that the current regulations, if you look how many how many teams got through on medium tires? Uh oh, let me think. Let me go all the way back to qualifying. Not many. Ferrari, Mercedes, Red Bull save Gasly. Oh, uh McLaren. Oh, and uh, uh Renault save Hulkenberg. Yeah, so so that's a huge advantage to be able to start on that medium tire instead of the soft tire. But it's gotten to the point where Mercedes can almost, they have their pick of tires coming out of Q2. So I think that's a regulation that you could change to even things up, to spice things up a little bit very easily. And I think that's where the sport might need to be looking. I think that's where the criticism is correct and there's room for improvement. Okay, so I don't think we're going to beat this to death too much, but I think before we talk about what we could do to spice it up, there is the question of, should you spice it up? So for me, and I hate to be that guy who's like, oh, since I've been watching since 1986, but I am going to be that guy. Since I've been watching, like for the last 30, 32, 33 years, this has always been the way F1 has been. So essentially, if you want a series where all the cars are really close together, watch Caterham Racing, which I believe is still covered on Channel 4. Go to your local kart track and watch karting. It's hugely competitive. F1 has never been every race, bang, 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 spectacular. Someone in our Slack group made the excellent point, do a lottery, randomly go and pick a race between 1981 and 1999 and tell us if it was a thriller and how it compared to to this race. F1 has always been an event you stick on on a Sunday afternoon and you kind of you can kind of do other things. In the 80s I used to have a nap. I'm sure I used to have a nap during during the races and it was still fine. Today me and the boy we had model cars and we were tracking the cars on in, in grid positions and adjusting it as they made their pit stops. The boy was getting really invested in the lap times that they were doing and he really loved, but he's nine, what does he know? He really loved the the tactical fight for the final lap and watching Vettel fight for the final lap and deciding whether that was worth it in the position he was in. So there's a lot you can do. You know, I used to watch test cricket and I'd occasionally, the best test matches I ever watched, you didn't see a ball bold. You know, it's a, a little bit about cornering your enjoyment of a day, of an afternoon, and an event on Formula One. Formula One has never been out and out, smash and crash. And that's that's all I want to say, really, because if it's spectacular every time, it's not a sport. It's a performance. Do you want WWE or do you want cricket? Do you want football? Do you want never to have nil-nil in a football? Do you want to have 
20 foot goals? Do you want to have goalkeepers with hands tied behind their back? We don't do that. Sometimes sport, and you should know as an American, baseball, sometimes nothing happens in sport. And that's what makes it magical when it does. You can applaud. If you want to applaud, if anyone wants to applaud, you can. That was genius. But I will argue with you about baseball till the end of days because you can always get up and go get a beer. Exactly. We'll do that on the Patreon cast. Okay, cool, Matt. Let's move on a little bit. Why don't you tell us where the race was won and lost? Well, I would have to say that the start of the race, which is usually critical, was not only critical this time, but it practically gave us an entire show's worth of material to talk about. At the start, you had a brilliant start by both the McLarens, and you had Verstappen swallowed up on either side by, by Norris on one side and Sainz on the other. And by the time you got to turn two, you had you had Sainz almost level with Leclerc. Yeah. And and only really good driving by Verstappen first of all, managed to put Norris out, and then he managed to put Sainz back. But going, uh, I think it was going down the straight, uh, Sainz got an excellent toe and got alongside him, and he was he was within half a second. And not until he tried to edge back into Verstappen's uh, uh, wheelbase to go down yeah. the straight, and he he lost it as soon, you could see it as soon as he hit that air, because they did a, a great thing on it um, after, after the race. As soon as he hit that air, you could see he completely understeered and went wide. And that was the end of it. But he had a real shot at getting around Verstappen going under the start uh, of turn two. And that, for McLaren, had to be, they just had to be screaming in that garage. All right, well, let's address this. Whoa, McLaren, we've been waiting for this renaissance for ages. Bradley Philpart predicted it three years ago, which was just the worst prediction but this kind of looks real now. They popped up in qualifying. They looked good. They've got two real sharp, smart, talented drivers. Genuinely cannot tell you which is the better driver out of those two. I suspect that long term it's going to be Norris. But Sainz is no mug and he raced fantastic at the beginning of uh, beginning of that race. The only thing he, he probably did was he was possibly a little bit too conservative, making sure he didn't go back into the back of Leclerc. And that's what cost him eventually you know falling back but um falling back just in front of norris but no fantastic racing at the front there and 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 lando as well quite unlucky to not be able to capitalize on his fifth place yeah he just wound up on the inside on the inside of a closing door and he he was smart enough to recognize it which not every driver in that situation would have been i will say that for him uh, also at the start it's worth mentioning as well ricciardo braked super super early normally someone who's very aggressive he kind of there was no one in front of him he wasn't having to stop himself hitting a wall of an f1 car but he did break very early took a very cautious approach i don't know if he thought maybe he could make that up accelerating accelerating out of turn one but he seemed to really ruin his race because then he kind of got stuck behind people normally we'd we'd gamble on ricciardo being the one to to break late and go for it in that situation. It was an uncharacteristically cautious start. Yeah, I'm not really sure what's behind that. I do know that he had all that dust on his grid position. Oh, yes. And that, that yeah. might have been why he was exercising a little extra caution into that first turn. All right, we'll let him off. Well, n- when we were settled into the race, we had a position then where we had predictably the two uh, Mercedes 
up front. We then had Leclerc in third place. Verstappen holding station, actually not looking completely lost behind the Ferrari at all. And then when Vettel did eventually make his way past the two McLarens, he wasn't eating massively into Verstappen. It wasn't like he was harassing him. He wasn't getting up into the DRS zone. I think most of the race, he was between, what, five and seven seconds back. Yeah, and and really, I think the undercut starts at around three seconds. But I believe that his presence there was enough to force Verstappen to pit maybe a little bit earlier than they would have preferred. And and, in that sense, he was able to force the issue a little bit. But unfortunately... Uh, two laps later, Vettel locked up and had had to pit early. So the idea of because he was running about the same pace as Verstappen after Verstappen went to the pits, and there's an there he could have extended and had fresher tires to attack with the end, but he only got a lap or two before he had that lock up and was immediately on the radio saying, "Yeah, the front tire's done. I'm going to have to box." And so in he came, and he just didn't really have the same pace quite as Leclerc did this weekend. And we could argue about why that is, or we could speculate endlessly about why that is for some time. Okay, let's do that. So in qualifying, he wasn't able to string a lap together in the first part of Q3. And then in the second part of Q3, only managed seventh place, which is a very surprising place for Vettel to be. He's a good qualifier. He's not a slow driver. And it's not very often we just see him miles off the pace so for him to suddenly just be like legitimately in seventh place with no errors reported it's jarring and you have to wonder you have to wildly speculate that the whole Canada debacle was very much preoccupying them because I imagine that Mercedes went home after Canada got ready for the French Grand Prix it looked like Ferrari had been sitting and stewing on that decision they were understandably upset and they brought a review to this race. And you have to wonder, was that a big distraction? Whereas Chris Medlin tweeted that Hamilton had said, yeah, sure, it's a concern. But as soon as I got here and they said the new evidence was Karun Chunduk's video, I chilled out and I relaxed. I think Mercedes came in super relaxed. I think Vettel came into this race still very much hurting from the Canadian Grand Prix. Yeah, I do want to make the point that the FI regulations are very clear. It has to be new evidence. I mean, Ferrari could have put together an overwhelming case for Vettel that any one of us would immediately look at and go, oh, yeah, you're totally right. But that doesn't matter. It had to be new evidence, evidence that wasn't available before the end of the race. And frankly, there was not going to be a lot of that because all the telemetry was already there. And no matter how well they analyze it, no matter how many drawings on computers they did, Uh, like Brad and our WhatsApp chat, it doesn't really matter because it had to be new. And if it wasn't new, that case was never going to go anywhere. And you just do wonder if they were doing it either to make a point to the FIA or maybe just to try and show one of their drivers that they really did believe them and were simply putting on a show for purposes of morale as much as anything else. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, maybe they were responding to Vettel kicking off and saying, you've got to fight my corner. So we are used to Vettel being cool and calculated when he's not in his helmet. When the helmet's on, he's quite hot-headed. Baku, um, telling off the race director uh, in Mexico. He is hot-headed 
under the helmet. But when you interview him, we're used to him being calm and collected. When he goes home, is he the sort of person who brushes it off? Or is he the sort of person who goes home and, you know, kicks the cat and goes, ah, it was unfair. How can I get back into this? Or is he the person who goes home and gets quietly married without telling anyone? Oh, yeah. Sebastian Vettel got married. Congratulations. I wish he'd come to me first. I'd have told him not to bother. Mazel tov. <laughs> uh, yes. So Sebastian Vettel turns up for whatever reason totally and genuinely off form and that that off formness seemed to continue into the race and not the Vettel who actually I've come to admire of late the one that is criticized for making mistakes he's been making mistakes under pressure because he's put himself into positions where that margin of going over the line could have made a difference he's gambled a lot which I admire he's lost out a lot this was a case of him just being off the pace yeah, he was off the pace. But what was interesting about Q3, especially to me, is that uh, Leclerc commented that they lost, that they were so far ahead in Q2 of Mercedes down the straight. And yet they lost all of that time in Q3. Now, I've seen people speculating that Mercedes keeps an extra mode available just for Q3. That could be true. Ferrari has been there or thereabouts with power, but one thing that absolutely did change was the direction of the wind in the last qualifying session. And that might have had a lot to do with why Vettel was, um, Vettel had such a hard time because I believe it, it affected Ferrari uh, much more significantly than it did Mercedes. And we could speculate about why that is. Um, There were some technical there were some technical <laughs> directives that came through. And the thing I don't know is whether they were enforced for this race or not, but two in particular, one was all of the teams have probably been doing this, but they've been blowing their turbocharger fan off throttle to put air through the exhaust and the wastegate to help energize the rear wing. This is sort of a vague variation of the exhaust blown diffuser, except for it's not the diffuser, it's the rear wing it adds a little bit of downforce. And as we all know, Vettel likes that planted rear end. This would be taking downforce off of the rear, which wouldn't help him. Uh, The other thing is that the teams have been being very clever with how they've been bolting the main main planes into their rear wings. They've been using uh, bolting positions that allow the wing to flex backwards and uh, shed drag at a higher speed. That's been taken away from them as well. Now, I don't know if they were in force, but you could see that if Ferrari were reliant upon those loopholes to reduce drag, then their straight line advantage wouldn't be as great as we'd been used to seeing in the past. And I followed all of that, as did many of our viewers. We are overdue a tech time with Matthew Summerfield, Summers F1. So I hope you can hook something up because it has been interesting because Ferrari came in with loads of upgrades and then Bonotto reported that they just hadn't worked and they took a load of upgrades off. I don't think Ferrari have been the best in-season development team over recent history. Uh, I think that is continuing. They're, They're obviously trying very hard. Bonotto seems to be taking it in a different direction Unfortunately, that different direction also isn't working. So we're talking about where the race was won and lost. And I hadn't quite clocked that, that Vettel had the opportunity to go long. When he said, I've locked up my tyres, I've got to come in and box. That was the end of his challenge because, so he ended up in fifth place. If he'd have got into fourth place, we are then into Ferrari uh, 
team order speculation. So we could wildly speculate about whether Leclerc would have been told to give that place up. We could speculate, so let's do that now. I think he would have been told to slow down and there would have been a mysterious, oh yeah, you're holding him up, we'll just swap it and see how it's going. There would be something, or you need to come in and pit, or we need to go do a two-stopper now. I think they would have manufactured a way for Vettel to get that podium. I don't think he could have gotten close enough for that to happen. Okay. They couldn't just press the Leclerc Bahrain button. Oh, you're overheating. You've got to lose engine revs. Sorry, Charles. Don't worry. He's retiring at the end of the season anyway. Yeah, no, I I don't think that would have happened because I I don't think Vettel would have been happy with that himself because he he was not on pace. He was not faster than Leclerc at that point. I think Vettel had a worse time on the hard tire than Leclerc did. And he had a hard time getting it to work. And we haven't talked about tires at all. And we haven't talked about track temperatures at all, which were pretty high. But I think also if we're going to talk about a lack of action or whether Botas really just lost it altogether, uh, so much of this race, and Albon commented on this before the race, was simply down to managing your tire temperatures. He said, it's not a degradation race. It's a thermal race. I gave, so, you, I gave you like 40 minutes of tires last week. Come on, spare us this time. I, I get oh, what you're I, driving I'm, at. I'm done. I'm just saying that if you're wondering why your favorite drivers suddenly seem to have no pace, probably they were getting temperature readings that said they could go no faster. Mm, it is definitely something that needs looking into. It's something that is not good for the optics at the moment, which is a lot of teams just are not getting on with these tires whatsoever. Uh, however, continuing with race one and last really there was no doubt about those positions except for suddenly out of nowhere Leclerc was challenging Bottas like where did that come from we were watching the midfield battle then all of a sudden Leclerc's on top of Bottas like 0.6 back and uh, I know there was a lot of complaints the the camera crew missed the the midfield battle with Lando Norris and we didn't see that till after the race but I was yelling at the TV going why are we watching why are we watching this this midfield scrap as good as it is when we could be watching the third place car hound down the second place car how much better for the optics of this race would it have been if we'd have seen the supposedly lost Ferrari fighting back with their number two driver to steal the second place and steal the Mercedes one two and split them up seeing him claw that back and get into within DRS range, narratively, that might have stopped some of the complaints about this race. It might well have, but you know, I found myself, one minute I'm talking to people on Slack, the next minute I'm hearing Leclerc is within half a second yeah. of Botas, and it's that the last from? lap of the race, and I'm like, wait a minute, well, what? Well, what? But it all goes back to our friend, the Ballard, rolling around on the track, and they needed to dispatch a marshal to remove it before someone ran over it and made a real spectacle for everyone to watch. So they instituted a very short virtual safety car, which slowed everybody down. And as soon as he'd retrieved it, essentially they removed it. And this apparently is where things got interesting because Botas was under the impression that the virtual safety car would last longer than it actually did. Uh So he was essentially sound asleep when it came off and and lost all of that time or some of that time. And then the rest of it was uh, because his tires, he'd been going for a long time. Apparently, he also had issues getting his tires switched back on again once the virtual safety car came off. So he was also suffering a bit. And I apologize for bringing up tires again. But in context, you really left me no choice here. 
Um, he had issues with that as well. And that's what led to the very exciting uh, and somewhat surprising last lap shenanigans. And we're going to get to some of those last lap shenanigans involving Ricciardo, Lando Norris, Kimi Raikkonen, uh, as well as some earlier incidents with Romain Grosjean in our section that we call Whose Fault Is It? after this. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Missed Apex Podcast is an ad-supported and a Patreon-supported podcast. We appreciate your support. If you would like to give us some support, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. We have a lovely Slack group, which is like a private forum for Missed Apex supporters. We also have a Patreon podcast that me and Matt do on a Monday, and I haven't been able to do it last week or this week because of very good reasons, if you track me on social media. However, we do aim to do two or three, and come summertime, we'll probably do so many that you'll be sick of us. Uh, What other benefits are there? You're the first to know about any events we have on, like karting at Buckmore Park with me and Matt. Matt's coming as well. We're going to have Matt. We're going to have Alex Van Jean, Kyle Power, if he's sober. Uh, We're going to have Chris Stevens on commentary. I don't think he's racing this week. Um, Matthew Summerfield, Summers F1, is coming along as well. It's going to be a fantastic laugh. Buckmore Park. 21st of September. We're just going to do the racing on the Saturday. A lot of us are hanging one on for a beer, staying at local hotels. In the morning, we're going to go back to Buckmore Park and we're going to set up and watch the Singapore Grand Prix and we're going to do a live race review then. So any patrons or anyone who attended the race is more than welcome to come and join us for a live watch of the race. And how that's fun, Matt. What do you think that'll be like, watching a race in person together? I can only imagine the insanity of that. Normally I'm sat at a desk with three or four screens and all my numbers that I love so much. <laughs> it's just going to be thoroughly distracting if I'm going to be honest. Oh, it's it's definitely not going to be as in-depth. It's going to be quite reactionary. But you can imagine like if some of the WhatsApp arguments that we have during races and penalties and stuff like that, if they break out into like a real life room, there could be there could be handbags at dawn. 
Yes, I, I can only imagine me and Summers going at it. Oh God, you, <laughs> you and Summers talking like tires and tack in real life. That's just shocking. Let's play a game, Matt. The game's called Whose Fault Is This? Whose Fault Is It? This is based on my unhealthy marriage where if there was a fire in our house, we would have to establish whose fault it was before rescuing the cat and or the children. Maybe just your your most favourite one, if there's no time. But Matt, we don't have racing incidents here. And I, I've never really known whether you're on board with that, although you've always played along. I don't want the, oh, it's just a racing incident. Don't worry. I want to know who we blame the most. I'm actually on board with that because I always enjoy finding causality in any event. I'm willing to admit that the rules allow for a quote-unquote racing incident, but at heart, you know, being an empirical sort of person, there must be causality somewhere, and the search for it is indeed fun. At the very least, who could have avoided the incident? But I find that when we've explored these and when we forced ourselves to assign blame where 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 other outlets have gone it's a racing incident and they've moved on we've actually dug into the rules we've dug into what we think the racing is now last week sebastian vettel left the track due to a mistake he went wide on the exit of a corner he then made every effort to get back on the corner as early as possible was deemed to have then had inputs that steered into another car and then he got a five-second penalty. The world exploded. F1 was broken. Nothing could ever be the same again. I've heard that the viewer figures worldwide for F1 were only a third for this race, what they were for the last race. Because just like when the Halo got introduced, all those people who said they were done with F1 meant it, and they never watched another race ever again. In this race, Daniel Ricciardo made a mistake went wide on the exit of a corner, made his best effort to steer back onto the track, was deemed to have done so in an incorrect way into another car, and he got a five-second penalty. And there is tumbleweed on the internet, Matt. No one cares anymore. Yeah, except for they're not at all the same thing. I mean, first of all... They were exactly the same. (laughs) I mean, well, yes, they were drivers and cars on a track. There you go. I, I think you'll it. find my that explanation painted a pretty similar picture between those two events. <laughs> oh, okay, tell me. you what, I tell you what, Matt, why don't you start by telling us what was the Ricciardo penalties, plural, because it was two five-second penalties, what was he deemed to have done wrong? And then I'll tell you why we don't need those stinking rules. And here's the thing. Reason number one, they're not the same, is they did not cite the same regulation this time around. In fact, they did cite the one regulation that I thought might have truly applied to Vettel last time around, which is that he left the track and gained a lasting advantage passing another car. With Grosjean, essentially, they said, yes, he he did do bad thing. But I think if Grosjean had rejoined the track behind Ricciardo and kind of gone, oh, well, I overtook off the track, so I'll join him behind, I think Ricciardo might have got a penalty there as well. I think he might have got three penalties. And But the fact that Grosjean then went, well, you forced me off track when you've gone off track. You've gone off track and forced me off track. Therefore, I feel entitled to continue my arc and then come back in front of you. So I think that's why there was no further action, because essentially he'd served his own penalty by Grosjean being in front. Except for I would swear I saw he got two five-second Yes, he did. The second one was for overtaking Raikkonen on the straight. Right. And what was the first one for? The first one was for rejoining the track 
around Norris. I don't know exactly which regulation they cited. Normally, that's your job. Oh, uh, with Norris, yes. I would go with probably rejoining dangerously because Norris did have to avoid him when he came back on. And that sent Norris off track yeah. and led to him losing all his positions. But I will, I will just have to look it up later or see if somebody in the chat room perhaps knows. But for Raikkonen, it was the same thing. He went off track, went around him, and came back on. Actually, once Raikkonen knew he was there, he gave way and let him back on track, which fair play to Raikkonen, um, yet rejoining the track unsafely and forcing another driver off track. So that would be the Norris decision. Okay, so if you're the Sky commentators who were the cheerleaders for all the outrage for the Vettel penalty, they they really were before... Um, before the penalty was given, they were saying things like, you know, if, if this penalty gets given, it's the most ridiculous thing ever. And then when the penalty did get given, they doubled down and they were very angry about it and they kept going on about it. And there was articles written. There was lots of commentary afterwards. It wasn't let go. They fully went down the, even if the rule is being correctly applied, F1 is broken and all the rules is broken. They fully went into that outrage. There's, it wasn't passing comments. They were deep, deep down. How can they go from saying that that Vettel penalty should never have been given to then suddenly saying that this Ricciardo penalty was fine? It was on the surface, essentially the same kind of thing. You left the track while someone was pressuring you. You came back onto the track and affected the driver that was pressuring you into a situation where they could no longer overtake you. I don't see how you can look at those two incidents and, and judge Vettel to be definitely not a penalty, let them race. But Ricciardo, oh yeah, no, he's, he's out of order there. Let's now apply the rules, which we were claiming we didn't need two weeks ago. Well, I think in essence, two reasons. First of all, Vettel's off was across grass, not across acres of runoff. So... In one sense, and, and every driver that was interviewed in the Formula One paddock afterwards that was asked this question basically said, no, the, there's nothing Vettel could have done differently given the surface he was crossing between when he left the track and when he was back on the track. So unsafe rejoining, I, I'm still at a loss to understand how when he came back onto track, what was unsafe about it? Hamilton wasn't close to him. There was nobody else yeah, there. So, he so, was all so, four wheels on track. It just, it, I mean, obviously they had a reason for it. I haven't heard it yet. But to me, parsing it, what happened later with the crowding was mm -hmm. separate to him actually coming back onto the track, if yeah, you understand right. what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. The stewards deemed that he basically deliberately opened up the steering and, and, and crowded Hamilton. So they, they deemed that to be deliberate crowding. So the actions that Ricciardo took, he deliberately went back on the track. As far as I'm concerned, Lando Norris, seeing Ricciardo leave the track, He's then entitled to go and take the apex. Ricciardo then joins the track at a point where there is a car taking the apex. He's, uh, he's rejoined unsafely, and that's, that's a nailed-on penalty. I don't think there's, there can be any disputing it. I like the fact that he put his hand up and said, well, you know, I was going for it. And I don't think he's surprised that that penalty's come. But how can you go from let them race to no rules to going, oh, yeah, no, that is reasonable. Yes, no, no, no rules, let them race. Oh, but actually, in that situation, that rule makes sense. So let, let us have rules in order to to kind of define how we're allowed to race. So can we at least admit, of course, we need rules to define how we're going to race. Of course, there are some decisions that stewards are going to have to adjudicate on. Let's get rid of and let's start ridiculing the let them race, the no rules, the over simplistic. I'm just a fan of pure racing because it's utter, utter 
nonsense. Well, I think, in response, that the drivers had very explicitly been told that the rules were going to be applied more loosely this season in order to, quote-unquote, spice up the action. And I think that happens in the odd years. In the even years, they tell them they're going to be more (laughs) strict about it because too many drivers are complaining. But in the odd years, they're told the rules would be applied loosely. And looking at the Vettel incident as a whole, it it was very much 50-50 whether he intentionally steered the car over there or whether he was simply still recovering from his incident. And and I think Steiner made that point when he was asked about it very clearly, is it looked pretty much like a 50-50 incident. We were told those would be let go in the interest of more spectacle. And so it's a bit surprising to see the rule applied that way in this instance. But I don't think Ricciardo's case falls into that same 50-50 category even remotely. And I think that's why yeah. uh, no one was that surprised by it. Obviously, I would him. also argue I don't think the Vettel thing was a 50-50. I think that's the the one of the clearest nailed-on penalties I've ever seen in F1. Uh, so if you want to argue one over the other, that's true. So even if you say the 50-50s are going to be let go, you can still argue, well, it wasn't 50-50. It was more on the side of we need a penalty, therefore there's a penalty. So saying that we're going to be more lenient isn't just a, a Wild West, anything goes kind of scenario. What's interesting to me is the Kimi Raikkonen one, though. When when uh, Ricardo, because I get criticised for saying it differently every time, when Ricardo was trying to overtake Kimi Raikkonen, Kimi Raikkonen did everything he could do. He shut the door, totally. So his wheels closed the gap. He was entitled to do that. That was his first defensive move in that situation. And, and Ricardo just went off track and then got alongside and Kimi could see him coming back to rejoin and Kimi's like well I don't want to get like hit like who knows whether Ricardo would have carried on doing it but Raikkonen has done nothing wrong there you can't just leave the track to overtake I, I think that's got to be the kind of golden rule so it's a bit more complicated when the car who goes off is in front it's a bit harder to say did they gain a lasting advantage but like with Roman Grosjean round the outside of I think I think um, the Williams Kid Stroll, four Stroll guy, uh, hungry, turn two, on around the outside. Everyone was saying, oh, it's such a great move, but he left the track. If he hadn't left the track, he wouldn't have been able to make that move, and he got a penalty, and everyone said, oh, you're killing racing. No, you're not allowed to leave the track and then come back on and, and make that overtake. So Kimi Raikkonen couldn't have been expected to leave the track and go like all the way to the wall limit of the Paul Ricard test circuit in order to stop being overtaken. So I think that's fair because Kimi Raikkonen shouldn't have lost that place. And in the end, the stewards have made a decision. The stewards have enforced a rule which has given us the correct decision. So the people who were saying no rules, no stewarding, you're killing racing. In that situation, you've got to say, okay, obviously in that situation, you need that rule. Yeah, you do need rules. And, you know, I was thinking of Talking about leaving the track and gaining advantage, uh, my favorite one ever is, I think, Rosberg in Canada, when when his brakes were going, just completely straight line to turn, kept the throttle buried. And I think Hamilton was maybe a second, had been catching him up. He straight lined to turn, and suddenly he was like about four seconds ahead again. I mean, there's there's a way you can be ahead and gain an advantage. These but rules it's harder can to be tell. applied. Yeah. It's just harder to tell. It's more clear cut when the car comes from behind and goes, um, and goes over the top. Um, yeah. Let's just talk about the Perez penalty then as well. What do we think of that? Because they, like in Barcelona, if you go on straight and also in Monza as well, if you go on straight at the first turn, there's a little penalty thing you have to do. It's a fair solution in Sochi as well. They brought that in. 
So it means, you know, you're not having your race ended if you go off at the first turn and you want people to be competitive in the first turn. So you have a little penalty track that you have to go through. However, in this case, everyone was kind of slow through turns one and two and Perez was able to actually gain an advantage and gain two spots. However, he got a five second penalty. What do we think? Well, this is this was more interesting. I think if you're going to argue this is more interesting, he absolutely followed the procedure. He did follow along the bollards. I mean, he didn't really stay within the little white lines on the other side of the bollards leading back to the track, but he was, you know, close enough for a kindergartner, let's say. Um, but he gained two positions. And the stewards were very clear that that was on him. That that he should have yielded those positions back. Once he realized it and his defense, when uh, you heard him on the radio, was like, it's it's madness at the start. How was I supposed to know where anybody was coming back onto this track? And I think you could make an argument that the race director should perhaps have notified the team and given him the opportunity to return the positions before giving him a penalty. That said, being two positions ahead and running the race the way he did might have gained him more than five seconds. So perhaps it worked out better for them in the end. Yeah, no, you're right, because he didn't get stuck, so he didn't get bottled up. Initially, my initial thought was, hey, Perez ain't done nothing wrong. Just leave my boy Perez alone, right? Because I was thinking he's he's served the penalty lane. There's nothing he could do. Otmar, Otmar Schaffnauer says, what we expected to do, just let everyone pass. And I'm like, well, actually, yeah, you are expected to let buy, buy the cars that you gained an advantage on. Maybe not immediately, but it doesn't take much to roll the tape back and go, well, we were sitting behind uh, Giovinazzi. Hey, Sergio, we're going to get a penalty here, I think, unless you just let uh, Raikkonen and Giovinazzi pass, and that's you back to where you were before you left the track. And unlike the other rules we've been arguing about, this rule is incredibly clear. You may not leave the track and gain an advantage. Yeah. He did the both things. Yeah, and I think that is on him. So yeah, yeah. that's a fair penalty. I think we've established... Whose fault is it? Look out on my YouTube channel, Richard Reddy. It's not just me dismantling Lego. It is a lot of that. There are 20-minute videos of me silently dismantling Lego. If that's your thing, it might be. However, we are also going to start doing some Whose Fault Is This specials with some stop-go animation as well. Uh, Treeface is putting together some very, very crude but quite effective animations of certain racing incidents for us to give a quick bite-sized shareable opinion uh, let's move on then away from uh, how the race was won or lost away from assigning blame i'm going to make a statement matt gonna make a statement okay there was never a bottas 2.0 mm, i don't know he's done better in quali i mean there, there is a measurable improvement in his performance from last year to this year Although, granted, I haven't done the numbers for the French Grand Prix, so that could have changed. So you're but saying he's closer in qualifying in general? Okay, yeah. I might give you that. But there is no improvement in the main weakness between Bottas and Lewis Hamilton. The main, the main gulf in ability is not on one lap pace, and it, and it hasn't been since Bottas joined. The main gulf is in race pace, and Bottas has even been quoted as saying... Look, Hamilton is ruthlessly consistent. Corner after corner, lap after lap, Hamilton gets it done. And that's where he's better than me. He said that. I don't think that's changed. Fundamentally, Bottas can't live with Hamilton on race pace. Australia flattered Bottas 
there was a, a fl- there was floor damage on Hamilton. The early part of the season isn't traditionally Hamilton's you know best performance anyway. And now we're seeing really since Barcelona, which is very early in the season, Matt, that he has stretched his legs. And now I don't think it matters now if Hamilton qualifies fourth, he's going to win races from fourth, except for the races where you cannot pass. So yes, maybe Hungaro ring, he might get stuck behind Bottas. Anywhere else, Bahrain, uh, Mexico, China, all those kind of races, uh, Austin, Texas, he can st- he can qualify fourth and win. Every race from here on in. Well, I don't know about qualifying fourth, but it was interesting. I don't know if anybody else noticed how much closer he was at the first set of pit stops than at the end of the race. So I think part of his problem was that the hard tire, he was unable to get the hard tire to work as well as Lewis did on the day. I will also note, because I can't avoid talking about it a little bit, is that the track temperatures were very hot. And I long had the theory that one of Botas' advantages, and he's had the advantage on the tracks that are new and smooth and low degradation, Russia, we've seen him do well at these sorts of tracks. I think his basic driving style puts more energy into the tires. And any time you're going to get a track this hot, it's going to fundamentally cause him more issues than Hamilton. And the other thing we've seen, and I think this is the real difference between them, is that every weekend we see an evolution from Hamilton from free practice one to the race in which he continually gains pace. And Botas might be as fast as him when they start the weekend, or he might be within a tenth, which is you know pretty amazing given how good Hamilton is. But by the time they get to the Sunday, that tenth is two tenths or two and a half tenths or three tenths. And only when conditions work in his favor is that number brought back down. And I think we may have been fooled a little bit, like you said, by his early season performance, just simply things working in his favor, putting it more in Botas' wheelhouse than Hamilton's. In the chat, Disloyal F1 has said Lewis was perhaps controlling the pace in the first stint and maybe had the ability to pull away. I don't like the general Hamilton-Mercedes philosophy of just just enough because they, they want to preserve fuel, tyres, uh, reduce the chance of mechanical failure. They don't do a Vettel and disappear 20 seconds off. Now, if, if you want to be a bit more comfortable as, you know, as a Hamilton fan or as a Hamilton teammate, what, why don't we see Hamilton just do the Vettel 2013? I think he could. I think he could go out, put a, a pit stop lead ahead and then start managing everything. He could, but then there'd be a safety car. So why? Well, there you go. But there's sometimes there's not. I don't know. What's the statistics? How what's the how often do you get a safety car? In what portion of races? I'm gonna guess, random guess, thirty five percent of races you have a safety car. No, I think it's higher than that. But do they you? do it on a per circuit basis. So um I think France had had virtual safety car. And so I mean your first stint will be about establishing a lead and driving to whatever delta you think gets your tires and fuel to the point you want them at the first pit stop. Okay, but I think we can agree. I mean, looking at Bottas, we'll talk a little bit more about the uh, the interview post-race with Bottas, which was unnecessarily cruel. Let's just talk about it now then. Uh, Brundle. Oh, I mean, he does cut to the core of people. He made Vettel walk away after the Canadian Grand Prix. You notice that. He's questioning with Vettel because he was kind of like, well, you you blew it, really. You blew that lead. And Vettel just walked off. This time with Bottas, it wasn't enough to say, you know, what were you lacking? And Bottas, well, obviously, you know, we weren't good enough. And, you know, I've got to have a look at that and go away and have a look at it. 
But Brundle looks over to Hamilton, points Hamilton, goes, what is it about that great champion that is making him so hard to beat? Look at him, Valtteri. Look how special he is. Look at what you'll never be. And here's a mirror. Despise that reflection. It was savage. And his face was just, I really, really felt for him. Yeah, because, I mean, because you don't know. I mean, you, 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 you run the car to what your engineer gives us. You do the best you can. And then, you know, the other guy was faster and your job is to figure out why and then imitate it to the best of your ability. And let's face it, who else out there right now could be doing what Hamilton is doing? And I'm at a loss. I mean, I think he's kind of, I think we are seeing him car dominance aside. I think we're seeing a driver pretty much at the peak of their ability right now. And he is definitely a once in a generation talent. He's at his peak ability, and I agree that he's a once-in-a-generation talent. However, it is being overshadowed by how good the Mercedes is compared to the other teams. So if he had a Rosberg back alongside him, giving him a bit of stick, if Ferrari was a bit closer, I think that would help as well. The legacy is going to be overshadowed. So I've had people saying, you know, this this period of dominance is the same as Ferrari, the same as Red Bull. And you go, well... The Mercedes dominance, perhaps, but certainly 2017, Ferrari were giving Mercedes a headache. 2018, you spent the whole season telling me that Ferrari had the better car. 2014, he could have lost that championship in the final race. It was double points. And if the gearbox failure had been in his car and not Rosberg's car, that was a Rosberg title in 2014. He lost the 2016 title. So the dominance, it is, he has kind of rescued the day more than he hasn't. He was dominant in 2015. He was, I think his driving saved him in 2018. But still, I think when we look back at this period, people are going to go, well, it's just because that Mercedes was so good. Yeah. I mean, but that's, that's what you get with Formula One. And uh, oddly brings up a topic that we have skirted a little bit, go which is they're still banging on about changing the tires. I don't know if you've heard this. Or I, you get, you get like a tech show or a new show later for regulations and tires. But no, they've the also bu- changed. Oh, <laughs> Fine. I wasn't going. I wasn't going to the tire bucket. I promise. All right. No. I wasn't going to the tire bucket. But they've also changed the arrow, so you've got a dual change. And whenever we see regulatory change like that in Formula One, you always wind up with a single dominant team, and then everyone having to catch up. 2017, 2018, Ferrari finally caught up. And now they go again and they make the double change, the tires and the wings. And once again, and perhaps we shouldn't have been surprised, Mercedes has come out on top. If you change the regulations, Mercedes will smash you every time. If they change the regulations every season, Mercedes will win by multiple laps over the next car every time because they have the resources to work on three different tire, uh, cars at a time. If you left them static for a little while, the, the regulations would close up. We've seen it era after era. I think we as fans are partly to blame because when we kick off, like when the hybrid cars came in, the, the regulations split the cars apart. Mercedes engine had a massive advantage over everyone else. But everyone was complaining that these cars were too slow. They were saying, oh, but the GP2 cars are nearly the same speed. They were kicking off. People were saying, no, F1, it has to be the fastest sport. And that kicked off a knee-jerk series of reactions. And just at the point that everyone was starting to settle into these new hybrid regulations, they came in, I think it was in 2017, 
So quite a short period of time. Let's make these the fastest ever race cars. And overtaking stopped in Formula One, essentially. But everyone patted themselves on the back going, oh, look at the lap times. A slightly less amount of time has elapsed since I last clicked the stopwatch. Who cares? Worst decision, worst regulation change ever. And that was all because people going, oh, F1 has to be the fastest, the most brutal sport in the world. And then now they complain about racing. Well, we made it happen, Matt. We made it happen. Yep. Well, all along, they're making these changes because they're trying to give the quote-unquote fans what they think they want. But really, a fair contest in a level playing field, whatever your regulations, will yield what it is we're after. Because sooner or later, we're going to get good racing with those two basic components. So what do we do? What do we do now? What could happen? Well, I mean, you know, we're we're all about changing the regulations. They're going to change again in 2020. The best thing we could do is, I think, Pirelli, without admitting it, but if you read between the lines, we'll probably make some changes to the tires for next year, which will be fine as long as we don't change anything else. Yeah, go on. Erudite just made a great comment as well, though, because he said there was a knee-jerk reaction to the 2018 Australian Grand Prix. And as the internet reactions have been getting worse... Australia has become a catalyst for all these knee-jerk reactions because we go to Australia every year and it is not representative of what the season's going to be like. And everyone goes, ah, it's awful, it's terrible. I can't believe we've come to a street circuit and there's no overtaking. Everything's broken, let's change it. And he's right, yeah, 2018, there was a massive reaction after just one race. Yeah, well, I mean, the cost cap might help some. An agreed-upon set of regulations that are going to be static for a good long period of time would be helpful. I mean, personally, I think you should offset aero and engine regulation changes at a space of five or six years. So you would have maybe a 12-year regulatory regime, and you'd have six on aero, and it would change, and then another six, and then the engine would change, depending upon where where things were headed in the real world that you wish to reflect. But... uh, you know, it's been this game forever in Formula One. It's always been about politics. It's always been about money. It's always been about who has the influence and who has the inside network to get what they want. Anyway, the the topic was actually that Bottas is, is 1.0 still. I don't think he's changed. However, I will point out, right, think back. Think back to the pundits at the beginning of the season after Australia, after the flyaway races, who staked their reputation on Bottas's back. And it seemed obvious, I think. I People looking at that sensibly, you've got to look at this, the the norm. What's the norm? What What's the line here? If you see something deviate wildly off it, do you think, right, Bottas has suddenly improved and he's Bottas 2.0 and he's now better than Hamilton, who's considered one of the best F1 drivers of his generation, if not all time. I said one of, not the. Don't come at me. Don't at me. Don't go in my mentions what's more likely that Bottas suddenly increased to that level or that that was a spike for reasons and it was going to normalize out but a lot of pundits put their reputations on this is Bottas fighting back and they still do it in practice you still listen to people in practice and they go yep Bottas he's fast around here then come Sunday no race pace yeah well I bet that goes back to he has been slightly better in quality and if you ask yourself Bottas 2.0 are we saying we've kind of got a Rosberg here in terms of performance are we saying we've got an equal to Hamilton? So yeah. what do they really mean by that? I think he's slightly better than last year. But as you say, in the race, 
uh, aside from the the win that he had, he hasn't really been able to put the pressure on Hamilton, which would have to be the defining thing that the sport would want in order for people not to complain about how boring all the races are. Let's talk about more things that happened in the race. The The fastest lap kind of mattered. Everyone really wants it. We wondered whether the drivers would care. They really care. They care a lot. Like, I think it might have ruined Hamilton's weekend that he didn't get the fastest lap, although he nearly did. He very nearly did. And this, to me, the remarkable and perhaps somewhat scary thing is that despite being on old, hard tires, his attempt to deny Vettel fast lap was 0.024 seconds slower than Vettel on a brand new pair of soft tires. And even at that, Vettel could was, I think, slower in the second sector, if I'm remembering what somebody wrote about it on the internet. Uh, I've been corrected, 0.027 seconds. <laughs> well, it's close enough for the kind of maths I normally do. No. Chat room, uh, chat room wins. Uh, you get a ten-second time penalty. So let's uh, let's cover a little bit of ground here because we've actually run way long. Well, it's a boring race. There's only two of us. We'll have nothing to talk about. Fortunately, in that time, we did use it wisely. We've basically fixed F1 and its regulation policy. So that was worth doing. Yeah, I'd say so. So what are we going to talk about? Well, I think we need to cover some points quickly that we can then go into further detail in the week if you want to catch up. Uh, that, that McLaren, certainly this is looks like a genuine comeback. So we kind of already covered that. It, it's a shame. I think they could have got slightly more out of today, but they, they really are kind of going, we're here. And can I just say the drama of yes. Norris getting oh that hydraulic leak? Oh, man. Yeah. That was like a horror movie. It's like someone had like poisoned the main character and they're like, here's what's going to happen. First, your arm will go numb. Then you will find it hard to walk. Then you're in. In fact, wasn't it in the, the film Airplane? Do you remember the old movie Airplane, the comedy where yeah. people were getting food poisoned? poisoning and they were describing the symptoms of what was going to happen and as he's describing it someone in the background like starts twitching their shoulder and starts like having drool and vomit coming out of their mouth just the horror of it lando first your hydraulics are going to go then you're going to lose your diff lock this is you know it's like lando's there going is this how it happens yes this is how it happens it was horrifying, and he was doing such a great job till that last lap. Oh, man, it was it was heartbreaking to watch that because yeah. they were on for a massive haul of points till that time. So it'll be interesting to see what they can do. Uh, next up is Austria. So that'll be interesting. It's not. I'm not going to say it's a similar track. Clearly, it's not a similar track, but there's lots of straights. So I think perhaps we could see McLaren looking strong again. Uh, yeah, and they think they didn't even think this track would suit them all that much. So there you go. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're a high downforce team, are they? They're not a bolt on as much downforce as they can. Uh, I, I think Renault probably has the most downforce of the midfield right now. Okay, so we reserve judgment on Pierre Gasly, and we're trying to give him chances to catch up. He's been in F1 a little while now. He's had a chance to catch up. Gasly's not good enough to live with Max Verstappen. He's not good enough to be in one of the top four teams in a works team. He's He's got to be gone. The only mystery bigger than what happened to Haas' performance is what's happened to Pierre Gasly. Because to a man or woman or a person, sexist, anyone who has seen him drive says he is incredibly talented. And yet, with a strategy that put him ahead of Ricardo 
in a Red Bull on the same tires that were fresher by a lap or two, he was just a sitting duck. And I, uh, I'm equally at a loss, but I will say that based on Christian Horner's comments today, it seems like Red Bull has sort of beginning to throw up their hands and say, yeah, it's a mystery, but it's one that we're not going to pay for very much longer. Mr. Apex understands that <gasps> Pierre Gasly will be gone in the summer and replaced by a driver to be confirmed. Ooh. There you go. That's my understanding. But you're right. Yeah. It, yeah. It, there might be reasons. There might be outstanding things, but you can't let that go on. In a, in a sport where there is such a big gulf between the top three and Formula B, he's in Formula B. Like, Gasly's essentially winning Formula B. He's not even in that top six scrap. And that is now getting to be a liability. I think someone suggested perhaps a Formula 1.25 with just Gasly With just in Gasly it. in it. And he could win that <laughs> and that would be fantastic. Yeah, that would be really good. Yeah, Gasly. Okay, where can we go to now? Uh, we covered Perez. I said I wouldn't talk about Williams until they did something. And I, I haven't looked at the timings. I haven't looked at the statistics. But something made me feel like they were kind of a tiny bit, a tiny bit, not better. I don't even want to say better. There, there was a different feel. The guys were scrapping at the back. They were racy. George, uh, George Russell seemed much more upbeat in general. Robert Kubica was proper rude uh, on the racetrack. Like he was fighting. I think it was clear from the race pace today the the um Russell was faster but Kubica had track position and wasn't giving it up and was fighting and was making quick reaction calls so he was like changing direction he was ushering Russell showing him the track limits getting him out of the way there was good racing at the back between those two guys and they even, the Haases were that bad today that they were sometimes involved in that when they were out of sync with the pit stops but I, I wouldn't mind, I wouldn't have minded watching a, a, like a five minute highlight reel of the, how the race panned out for Williams. Obviously, we don't really get to see that on the main feed, but today they piqued my interest. Yeah, well, there have been positive noises coming from that general direction for the last few races. And you see it, especially with Russell and qualifying, you, there are these moments where you're like, oh, that's, they've actually made up a lot of ground from where they were at the beginning of the season. But they were so very, 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 very far behind that they're still at the back quite significantly. They certainly are. But anyway, something to keep an eye on. And I've broken my Williams embargo there. So so there's that, isn't there? Uh, I think, Matt, we've run long enough. But having come off all the negativity on social media about how boring and terrible this race was, and honestly... The social media side of it and seeing everyone's comments really took the shine off of my afternoon of F1. And I really look forward to my afternoon of F1. Like I genuinely look forward to not as much as recording this podcast, not as much as the conversations I have, but actually just sitting down, the experience of enjoying and soaking up F1. I've never needed cars to explode. I've never needed fireballs. That is just my cool Sunday afternoon. And now it's my Sunday afternoon with my boy as well, who's getting involved in it. When you look at all that social media negativity, but then you look at the numbers on this live stream, I'll tell you, this is the highest live stream we've had this season. Yeah, and you're surprised. I I thought no one was going to tune in. But I think there's a lot more, there's a lot more silent and less vocal people who are perfectly happy with F1 
who, yeah, would have looked at the, today's race and said, yeah, it was a bit boring. That was a bit of a stinker. That was a nil-nil. But that doesn't shake their foundation of their F1 fandom because they've been F1 fans for a long time and they understand the sport. It, it's not about corner to corner all the time. It's about watching event to event, season to season, era to era. And there are highs and lows in that. I'm going to give you that this was a low, but I don't think it's the death of F1 that certain media outlets will have you believe. I could not agree more wholeheartedly. And I do feel that in the long run, this is just the pain we are going through to build a sport that is sustainable. Because that's really what this is about. You go back to the tobacco era and that model is not sustainable for anyone, even if you're Mercedes. You cannot spend that much money forever. And I think in their hearts, despite the extremely piranha club nature of it at the top, everyone understands that and knows that this is where we're hammering out how F1 can survive and thrive into this brave new world where we, where we can't spend endless amounts of money finding thousands of seconds. Sometimes in life you can find the podium button. Sometimes in life you can't and there's an awkward two-second pause. The race concluded with Lewis Hamilton extending his championship lead with Valtteri Bottas holding off Leclerc for second place and the young gun in Ferrari claiming a podium. Now, interestingly, Matt, you can tell from Lewis Hamilton's body language immediately after the race that he is currently very pleased with his hair. There are times like in Mexico last year where I was like, just leave the guy alone for a second. Just let him go. He's obviously got something he's going through. Just let him go through it. Let him go behind a screen, take his helmet off, put a hat on if that's what he wants to do. Today, that helmet could not come off fast enough. Like he was proper pleased. He was like, check out my sick do. Everyone needs to see this. Helmet's coming off before I celebrate. Yep. And good for him because there's nothing more powerful than a good haircut. This is true. Should we give out some awards? What do you think? Mm, Okay. Sort of a habit we've developed. How about the good thing award? Who would you say was your thing of the weekend? You know, this is an, I, I was, I was jokingly tempted to award it to the Bollard for making the end of the race exciting, but I, I really, I'm going to say Lando Norris, my thing of the weekend. It just, he was on tally a lot. He had such a good qualifying. He, he did lose out um, at the start of the race, just, but man, listening to him, I'll tell you what really killed me though, is after the race, he said, oh, do you have video of the Ricardo thing? Yeah. Yeah. And his reaction to that, I'm like, this is where F1, he needs to be on YouTube every week in these <laughs> highlights doing exactly that. Because this is where your next audience is coming from. And he has just, he's got that thing. He's got, look at me. That's what they call it. He's He's been bred for it, hasn't he? Media, skills, talent. He's going to have a test against Carlos Sainz. I, I believe that Carlos Sainz needs to enjoy this season. Score perhaps a, a season win against Lando Norris. Well, he still can because this is not Lando Norris's final form by any means. This is him straight out of the Pokemon egg. I think that's how Pokemon works. So you need to beat Lando Norris. Go, yeah, I beat Lando Norris and then go to Haas or something like that. I think Signs needs to get out of Dodge 
before Lando Norris really figures out what he's doing. So yes, you've, you've pretty much stolen my, my thing of the weekend. So I'm going to give my thing of the weekend to Kimi Raikkonen. I think that was an incredible performance to get the, the alpha fighting up there with Renault and eventually obviously a bit lucky to overtake Lando Norris. He was the net winner out of that battle, wasn't he? Because Ricciardo got the penalty. So he, I, I, I guess Kimi's classified seventh. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. Yeah. That's an absolutely yeah. fantastic result for Kimi Raikkonen in an Alfa Romeo. So that, that's got to be the headline of this race, hasn't it? Kimi Raikkonen just finished seventh in basically a Sauber. So the, the best, best, well, it's not best of the rest, is it? Because Gasly dipped out. So who finished fifth? Um, Sainz. Sainz. Sainz so is the best of the rest. But still, amazing. Because you can't argue that the Alfa is up there in performance with the McLaren at the moment. So fantastic. What about the bad thing award? I am struggling with my bumpers today. I'm going to find it. Don't make me say, oh, no, I missed the apex by myself. Oh, yeah. Let's not have that, please. Who missed the apex for you, Matt? Uh, well, I'll tell you who missed the apex for me. And uh, Haas, just like, man, are they just lost in the wilderness? And I, I feel badly for even giving them, because I know they're trying. But uh, I saw a quote from uh, Grosjean, who everybody likes to ding for whinging. But he did say, maybe it's time the team started blaming themselves. And oh, I, I kind of have to agree. See, I found it, but then I pressed it at the wrong time. Look, there it is. Oh, no, you missed the apex. Terrible soundboard performance. Yeah, yeah, has in general. Let's see if they can do anything in the future races. I I rarely give the Missed Apex Award to Sebastian Vettel, but it's, it's got to be Vettel. When you're in the second best car and you're qualifying seventh and you're struggling to keep pace with Verstappen, you ruin your own strategy by locking up. Unfortunately, it does have to be Sebastian Vettel. I'm sorry. I'll go first for the next one. Daddy, I want a pony. And I want it now. Before I do, you've just given me that look of the chat room has just massively distracted you and made you laugh. Yeah, Erudite 450 uh, would like to nominate uh, Ferrari for their, quote, overwhelming Karun Chandok analysis. That is, yeah. I mean, we can't really understate how shocking it was when it was revealed that that was their new evidence. Because it was being teased all over Twitter. For Was it Mark Hughes that said, Ferrari may have found the silver bullet for their review. And it was literally like, check out what Karun said. I think the silver bullet was talking about some arrow mapping issues in their CFD, but... Oh, okay. Oh, right. It wasn't for the review. Oh, it was for actually for performance. Oh, okay. That would make more sense because Mark Hughes is a tech guy. Okay. I apologize for all the things I muttered about Mr. Hughes under my breath. The Pony Award has got to go to Roman Grosjean. It's cumulative, isn't it? Can they not give Roman Grosjean just like a fake button, like a fake radio button? So he thinks he's complaining, but really he's just talking to himself. Every single contact, he makes himself sound lame. Like, just be a bit more, like, call him a knobhead. Go, knobhead. Don't go, oh, no, oh, I've been put upon. I've, the all the bad things happened to me. That would be funny, but only if they recorded them all and released them after the race. Deal. Have you got a pony award for us, Matt? All right. So, do you ever have that award that's not really a pony award, but is sort of? Um, no, I don't have a sound effect for it. And even if I did, I'd fail to find the button today. But yeah, go on. I'm going to go, and, and don't take offense, I'm going to go with Hamilton. For because the pony. Every time, oh, yeah, actually, every time yeah. he was on the radio, 
Every time he's on the radio, my seat is broken. Fast as <laughs> My tires are gone. Fast as yeah. <laughs> Every time he was on the radio, and I'm not saying he sounded pony-ish. I mean, he was just reporting to the team. Mm. But the combination, and I know that uh, FOM times these messages, so they didn't really overlap. But what it looked like on TV, and I think it was mentioned on Sky afterwards, and I saw it go by in the chat as well, is, boy, it just sure looks like every time Lewis Hamilton has a problem, he just goes faster. <laughs> so one of two things is happening. Either he's just an incredibly passionate person who comes across as quite dramatic. Definitely comes across as dramatic. It's not like there's some slight thing wrong with my seat. My seat is disintegrating underneath me. I can't. How can I possibly work under these circumstances? Although the message back to his engineer about the engine mode, pick a mode and stick with it. That was a different tone altogether. That was that was manager Lewis Hamilton. That was parent. That was dad voice Lewis Hamilton. And we've not been accustomed to hearing that. We've heard a lot of passive aggressive stuff out of Lewis Hamilton. Like, guys, I, I was in first place. Now I'm in third place. Anyone want to tell me what's going on? But this was like, no, I am actually dishing out an order here. Pick a mode. Stick with it. That's what I need. That was jarring but also that was just bang up leadership as well yeah well i mean honestly as a driver you need to be able to differentiate if that's what you need to do your job then they need to quit muffling about with computer programs and give you an answer because i i mean boy, the amount of things those guys change per lap it blows my mind uh it, when lando was talking through his qualifying lap he's like oh here with this corner i switch the diff here and then as soon as yeah. at oh, the apex i switch it back mid corner <laughs> yeah i know I don't think you should, I don't think the sport should involve that. That is like, that's like Federer changing rackets mid-swing. Yeah, well, interestingly, going back to the time of Andretti, that was one of the reasons he, he gave for leaving Formula One and, and going to IndyCar was because he said, I got tired of pushing buttons. But that's with an engineering-based sport at that level. It's what you wind up with because you can get better performance out of the car if you can switch your diff and if you can change your brake balance, and if you can do this, and the more things you can change, the better you can get out of each corner. All right. We've drowned on long enough. Although it's not just been you and me, has it? It's not just been yeah. you and me on this. Remember that show where we couldn't get the live stream working because of stupid YouTube and its stuff and its going yeah. downness? We really missed the chat. And they have kept this company all evening so thank you very much to the live chat make sure you subscribe to missed apex podcast and i've not said this for a while but if you click the little bell you'll get a notification every time we either go live or i press the wrong button because my daughter's practicing in the shed but but on both those occasions you will get a notification the chat room has been fantastic we give them an award so could you tell me who's up for and who has won comment of the week This is actually challenging. I think races like this bring out the creativity uh, of yeah. the chat room. Agreed. So I have like about 90 really funny things that they said. And that's probably only a minor percentage of everything that went by. Okay, but I'm, I'm going gonna... I'm, I'm to compromise. Give me five. All right. I should really number them so I know. Um, I'm going to go with low stealth. Besides, the race wasn't boring. I made a Batmobile out of an Amazon box for my daughter between Hamilton and Botas crossing the finish line. That's what you've got to do. Oh, because there was such a big gap. <laughs> also, someone pointed out when uh, obviously Grosjean had retired and someone was going, um, 
Kubitz is still behind Grosjean and Grosjean's in the pits. Kubitz is still behind Grosjean and Grosjean's in the pits. Yeah, that's quite funny. But there are other things you can do to enhance your F1 experience. You can chat in a positive forum like our Patreon Slack group by supporting us on uh, patreon.com forward slash missed apex or like when we used to watch test cricket as kids we would learn how to score or we would play a little dice game called how's that see if you get that reference you are both english and getting on a bit give us our next nomination for comment of the week so there's a number two good uh i'm gonna go with our old friend neuropian he's our friend from old times i don't know that he's necessarily old just i think he's french ah could be something like that He's from one of those countries that's not America, so who really cares? Um, marriage equals half a second slower. One child equals seven-tenths a second slower. Marriage and a child equals one second slower. Three unknown biological children from mothers you can't remember equals one second faster. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, low stealth again. This will be number three. Ferrari spent four days trying to get F1 TV to work so they can download Karun's video evidence. That is hilarious. I love that. (laughs) Also, uh, we should say that they said um, this is plan F now. Time for plan F. And we're going, wow, that is desperate if they've gone A through to... Hang on. I always have to do the alphabet like this. A, B, C, D, E. A through to E before getting to F. But I think F stood for go for fastest lap. You could be right about that. I, I think that's a logical inference to make, given the circumstances. Oh my God, Paul Young in the chat room. He may be French, but he's one of us. <laughs> he's, he's, the, he's the one good Frenchman. We've got French people in our patron chat. They're good guys. Uh, they are. And and I was, of course, joking, or as my daughter would say, stereo fighting, when I said that thing about countries not being America, not mattering. Because of course they do. I go visit them all the time. America. Um, all right. So that was three. So we're on to number four. And we had two in with the same general idea, but I'm going with Wolfie Man regarding our Botas discussion or Botas 0.3. 0. Oh, right. That's the other way around. Okay. I get that. Okay. It's like a numbers pun. So if Nick was moderating, maybe, not, maybe not now. And then for number five, and I think this will have to be the winner, the winner, and I'm guessing your favorite. Okay. Michael Distelhoff with Spare the Tires, Spoil the Spanners. <laughs> Comment of the week. To be fair, we got through an awful lot of tire chat last week. I think we had 40 minutes of tire chat. I couldn't believe it. I was like, what has just happened here? I know. I had to throw you a bone. There you go. I put out tire-wise. Now I'm safe for, for the next couple of weeks. We're going to chat again next week because it is the Austrian Grand Prix. Back-to-back Grand Prix. We have exciting new panellists that you will recognise from the world of social media who might be joining us over the next few race reviews. We will, of course, try to get Joe Sayward back in the shed as well, although I have a very busy week this week, so it may be that the next time we see you is the Austrian Grand Prix before we pick up our, our normal cycle of Inside F1s and Diaries of an F1 Boss and the Patreon podcasts again. Thanks for listening. Until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Miss Apex. I'm glad all the others dipped out at the last minute 
we're the best ones. They're all terrible. Let's go through their terrible excuse. Nick couldn't do it because... Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.